slip-up in Uncle Freddy's office, uh, boys and girls. That's a little service Uncle Freddy runs for some of the older boys and girls. <laughs> so if um, you might hang on to him for 10 or 12 years, Freddy, or...
like it's fight or flight with you Yes, I wish I might, but there's no stars inside tonight. It's cold, it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. And the night is dark. It's cold, it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. And the night. The same old spot where it all started to end. Well, you grabbed my arm, tried to keep me near you, even after all those things I said.
And welcome to the Weekly Review. I am joined here by two guests. Please feel free to introduce yourselves. My name is Nia King. My name is Maliha Ahmed. Ooh, let me move up that mic uh, once more, please. My name is Maliha Ahmed. Great. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and you have a new book that is out that we're very excited about. <laughs> yes. Queer and Trans Artists of Color, Volume 3. Yay! Very exciting. And you have your book launch tomorrow. Yes, yes. It's at East Bay Booksellers at 5433 College Ave in Rockridge in Oakland um, from 7 to 9. And there's going to be free food and ASL interpretations. Oh, so, wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. So this is volume three. Yes. And I guess we could start off with what have, let's see, throughout the process of these three books, what has changed throughout? If. I'd like to think I've become a better editor over mm -hmm. the course of um, editing three books. I think also, so these books are based on a podcast that I do called We Want the Airwaves that mm -hmm. I started in 2013. Um, I just put out episode 101 this month with Joyce Hatton. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to think that I've also become a better interviewer over that time mm. as well. And then I'm also looking for to see who's not being represented in the body of artists that I've interviewed and yes. trying to make sure that... Uh, I get representation from all different types of people of color, not just, you know, one or two groups. So always striving for more diversity. Yeah. How do you go about um, connecting with people? Um, so <laughs> this is kind of the introduction is sort of, I talk about how when I speak at colleges, I always get asked, like, how do you find these people? <laughs> I feel like this is kind of a similar question. Yeah. I mean, I started with who I knew, right. which coming out of Mills College was a lot of uh, queer cis women and trans men. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, so there are clearly people not being represented here, like trans women and queer cis men. Mm -hmm. um, and also in the beginning, I feel like it was pretty heavily black and Latino mm -hmm. and, and Asian as well, but definitely like um, Native folks and Middle Eastern folks are really underrepresented mm -hmm. so um it was a process of assessing whose whose voices have been on the podcast identifying the gaps and then reaching out to people i know in those communities and being like hey who should i talk to who's doing good work yeah that's excellent and do you find that some artists refer other artists to speak with oh yeah definitely i feel like artists from marginalized communities are I mean, I'm generalizing, but like very mm -hmm. happy to support each other and yes. shout each other out. And there's a yeah. lot of that in this book. Like we couldn't include every artist that we wanted to, but I try to give artists a chance to be like, who else should we be reading? Yes. And yes. I sort of imagine the book as like, I want to say hypertext. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, I like to think of just having a bunch of links in it and mm -hmm. that people will sort of, well, it's not as easy as just clicking on a page in the book mm -hmm. that they'll go and do their own research and want to learn more about the artists that are referenced, not just the ones that are interviewed. Yeah. Is it also the case, do artists ever approach you and ask if they can be on your podcast? Yes, but I very rarely say yes. Mm. <laughs> and how often do you record the podcast? It comes out once a month. Okay. Great. Yeah, I just took a little hiatus because I moved twice in the last four months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, from the Bay to Rhode Island and then mm. from Rhode Island to Philadelphia. But oh, okay. now that I'm getting my feet back under me, I'm hoping to continue to produce the podcast once a month. And I've actually just very recently started um, having it on the radio in Philadelphia oh, as great. well. Yeah, there's an organization called Philly Cam, Philly Community 
action media or community access media. I'm not actually sure. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a radio, a low power radio station. That's 106.5 FM. And um, I produced the last podcast episode as a radio special for them. And the next one will be as well. Oh, Congrats. So for six years, I've been saying we want the airwaves, and now yes. I'm finally starting to get them. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Sweet. So how did the two of you meet? Oh, uh, so I previously edited a, edited a book for my... I, I'm, I've been best friends with this artist, Luna Marbruja, since we were oh, in yeah. high school. And uh, yeah, and then a couple of years ago, she put out a poetry anthology, and she asked me to edit that for her. Um, and then, like, just last what was year, it, called? it was called Heal, Heal Your Love, and uh, it's an excellent poetry anthology. It's Lambda Literary Award nominated. It was a finalist. Um, and, yeah, you should all read it. And then... <laughs> and it'll be for sale at our book launch. Oh, oh great. Yes. And Luna will be there, so she can sign copies for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, this is a rare opportunity, but, yeah, she's always busy, but, yeah. And then last year, when Nia was looking for an editor, she referred me to her, mm-hmm. and I was like, heck Yes. Yeah. So, and yeah. Can, can I ask Malia a question? Oh no. Yeah. I'm really curious. What made you want to be part of the project? Because I imagine it wasn't the amazing pay. Well, as you know, I was unemployed, so it was the amazing pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was also the like you know we always like match make our friends. Um, mm-hmm. Like you've match made me with your friends, and yeah, we like, and I kind of figured that if you know, Luna's best friends with me and she's best friends with you and you and I had never met. I kind of figured like maybe she was matchmaking. (laughs) Maybe she was like, this is going to be a good match. So it made me think that if nothing, you know, like even if like the book didn't work out as well as it had, um, like maybe we'd be friends and it would work out. (laughs) It's very optimistic about it. (laughs) I think that's mostly true. Yeah, yeah. I think that like working through your network um, is more positive than, or more routinely positive than. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strangers. cold calls. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Luna recommended you very highly, and her recommendation means a lot to me because she's one of my best friends as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny that we had never met before because i yeah. feel like we had probably both seen her perform like been at the same show seeing yeah her we have we've definitely been at the same shows we've talked about them yeah <laughs> but we're just never introduced and we've been friends with luna for like like five to ten years like yeah i honestly don't know how this happened <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad it did <laughs> do i yeah. sound okay level wise um yeah. <laughs> yeah i see the the charts that the great yep yeah and we can also check in a little bit later too yeah (laughs) cool yeah so what were some surprises that came about when you were working on this book uh all of a sudden nia moved to the east coast (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true one of the reasons i picked malia is because she was Mm -hmm. local and then Mm -hmm. i left Mm. (laughs) but i couldn't afford to stay in the bay area anymore Um, it's like that i mean you feel like you have your feet like like, do you feel situated in Philadelphia? Yeah, I just, um, I mean, this is kind of personal news, but like the last five years I was working here, I was working in retail and I was really frustrated with my inability to find a job where I could sit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
you know, considering that I have like years of experience editing audio and editing video and yeah. editing books. And um, I just got a journalism job in Philadelphia, oh, which is like the field that I've been trying to work in for the last several years. Um, when I get back, I'll be starting on WHYY, which is their public radio station, as a news editor and oh, producer. That's great. <laughs> I haven't actually like told wow. people yet, really, except I'm for close so friends. I'm proud but, of you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, it's really exciting for me. I feel like being sort of self-trained, it's hard to be taken seriously mm-hmm. as a journalist. And I yeah. think that's why I sort of struggle to break into the field. I also yeah. feel like just the job market in the Bay Area in general is super competitive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've only been in two Philly. I've only been in Philly two months and I've already landed a job that has benefits. That's great. A huge step up from the kind of jobs I was working here. Yeah. So hashtag it gets better. <laughs> uh, that's good to hear. <laughs> you just have to leave the bay. Yeah. Uh, Suddenly. Womp womp. Suddenly. That's the way. That's the way I'll find a linguistics job. Just leave the bay. Inshallah. <laughs> I mean knock on wood. <laughs> Um, yeah, it does feel pretty random, and this is, like, tangential to the book, but it, mm-hmm. or maybe it's not, I'm sorry, never mind, we're talking about capitalism in the Bay Area, right, so it feels so random where you can make good money in the Bay, um, like, doing what kinds of jobs, like, oh, I, I don't want to talk about my actual personal oh. <laughs> Sorry. Talk about whatever you'd like, honestly. Yeah. So pretty soon after I met Nia, I like got my first like office job, uh-huh. and it paid, and it wasn't um, it wasn't in my field or anything or something I wanted to do. I really deeply did not want to do it, and and I got to leave, and that worked out really well for me um, until it didn't. <laughs> Just a string of like contracting jobs that mm-hmm. suck. I don't think contractors in the bay area are treated very well i agree yeah yep yeah oh, oh. Asked, yeah there's wow. like a new law regarding that right i don't know too much about it but i know mm. that i read like an op-ed in the east bay express that was against this new law that's supposed to help give contract workers specifically yeah. lyft and uber drivers right, right. like you know basic minimum rights as workers mm-hmm. and uh i'm like oh now i'm talking <laughs> i'm talking shit about the east bay express on the air but um well, i mean we don't know what right sorry i don't know why they yeah it's just like i guess the, the uh, op, whoever wrote the op-ed which i guess can yeah. i guess they, they did yeah, choose to publish it though <laughs> um he his argument was that i guess i guess this law would also affect freelance writers mm-hmm. and you know require the institutions they write for it to like pay them a living wage question mark and or provide some kind of benefits mm-hmm. and so the person who wrote the op-ed was the owner of the paper who was like this is bad for journalism <laughs> because we rely really heavily on freelancers and, mm. and not paying them benefits mm. i mean i get it but also like that's a like, common what? argument that's also what lyft says like yeah like how can we afford all the Just, like how, how, how are you gonna say that in public and put your name on it like where's your shame <laughs> they have no shame i i love these pay express I don't love this particular gentleman. Yeah. That reminds me of something similar that was in the Washington Post recently that was like against taxing billionaires or something. And everyone's like, Jeff Bezos owns your paper. Of course you're going to say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not that hard to figure out. It's a minor, minor <laughs> conflict of interest. Yeah, just minor. So, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it ties back into like being an artist and wanting to support oneself and create work and then also be valued for it and compensated for it and how difficult that can be. Yeah, I mean, what you were starting to say about the kinds, how arbitrary it is, what kind of work is valued and what kind of isn't. That's something I thought about a lot when I was here, because I was like... I was telling you about some of the jobs I was interviewing for, right? And I was like, wait, I'm sorry, you pay how much for... to do what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean jobs that you thought paid too much? Yeah, but like... I'm, you know, I'm not going to say in an interview, like, oh, that's, I think too much. <laughs> that's too much. I'm sorry. I'll take, like, you know, way less than that. But, yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I it's mean... It's arbitrary. It's like, you luck into a good, like, well-paying job, and then you... Yeah. I mean, that's not the case for everybody. Like, yeah, I feel like it's a little more complicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about people like me who can't find a job in their field. <laughs> yeah, definitely, like... You know, I've never been able to make a living off the podcast or the books or mm-hmm. any of my like creative or intellectual work. Mm-hmm. And so I was working at a print shop making copies for a living. And it always felt very weird to me that like, like I know the work that I do as a journalist has a lot of value to my community. But in terms of surviving capitalism, you know, I have to find like I am my ability to make copies is more valuable than yeah. my ability to write books. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, I I feel I'm a I work as a I have a lot of different jobs, but one of them is as an actor, and it's interesting that acting jobs that pay. Like I got into SAG a few years ago, which I'm really grateful for, and also the type of productions that come to the Bay Area, which are few and far between, and then the, those types of stories that they're telling versus perhaps theater roles or other more independent roles that might be more interesting or challenging the status quo and. As an extra, it's like so interesting. There was one thing I was cast on just as an extra a couple, I think it was like a year ago, and they called me in for the full day. They didn't use me at all. And somehow, I mean, I still ended up making more money that day than I did. I also was working as an in-home caregiver. And I'm like, oh, I worked like, you know, I could work. It's like much harder, Right, much, I would say. Yeah. Much harder work. Definitely. And it pays, and it pays minimum wage. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, so I make more sitting on my butt not doing anything than I do doing physical and emotional labor. Like improving someone's life. Right, right. And yeah, it's just like actively and aggressively improving someone's yeah, life. Yeah, and it's just so interesting. And then, like, caregiving's not about, like, I used to be a caregiver in college, and it's like, there's levels of caregiving. Like, there's people who don't need that much help and people mm-hmm. who need, like, everything done for them. Yes, yes. And and the, the people who are being their caregivers, they're not getting paid anymore. There's no, like, which is ridiculous to me. Yeah. This is tangential still, sorry. Oh, no, I mean, it's, everything's mean they're connected. They're not getting paid anymore? Uh, they're not getting paid more than, like, uh, let's oh, say any, any more than... The people who don't have to do a lot. So, Got like, it. Sorry, instance, I thought you meant they weren't being paid at all anymore. No. I was like, when did that <laughs> No, that would be wild. No, it just, like, if a client needs, like, you know, basically needs you to come sweep their house and check their mail, compared to a client who, like, has an ostomy bag, you know, mm-hmm. like, they, they need you to do everything for them. Um, it's, yeah, like, they're... There's no correlation. There's no difference in pay for them. That's really strange. Yeah. There's no, like, incentives to protect more vulnerable, like, seniors and disabled people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really messed up. Um, so my new workplace, where I haven't started yet, is trying to unionize. And oh, the yay. union they want to join is SAG-AFTRA, so I would love to talk to you about oh, that yeah. maybe off the record at some point. Yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't know that was a journalist for, uh, a union for journalists. I thought it was just for actors and writers. Oh, it's, um, well, there was the merger between um, Screen Actors Guild and then AFTRA a few years ago, so okay. it's like television and radio. 
Got it. So, and then there was some arguments about whether or not they should merge or not. And I, I mean, I joined after they've, they merged. Mm -hmm. So I can give you my experiences off the air for sure. Sounds good. And overall, I'm, you know, grateful for unions, grateful to be a member of one. And also as with most, most things, there is room for improvement. For sure. It feels, I'm like, I shouldn't be saying this on the radio, but you can stop. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I, (laughs) wow. Um, I'm going to say it anyway. Sure, sure. <laughs> it feels really bananas to me that now that I'm entering a white collar job, I have potentially access to a union when I mm-hmm. didn't have that when I was working as a cashier. Yeah. Um, because I feel like cashiers need way more protection. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Could you use unions as much, if not more than anyone right. else? Yeah. Yeah, I took a, um, a couple labor studies classes at City College last year, and it was just really informative. Like, there's so much stuff I didn't know. And I guess, of course, it makes sense, though, that the powers that be don't teach you how to organize organize, <laughs> or how to, you know, take care of oneself, and especially in, the, in a workplace environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, that's wait, actively wait. Aggressed, uh, against their interests. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you didn't. I was just saying stuff that maybe I shouldn't say on it. Yeah, no, I just, I just turned in my resignation for a job. Uh, (laughs) I'm so excited for her. (laughs) I was, uh, I was struggling. Yeah. And I like, they don't want you to unionize. They don't want you to know that you can like organize. Mm -hmm. Um, they want you to just like be afraid and be docile and be like, Oh, I really need this job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super glad that I could walk away. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, moving along to the book. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. Everything's, everything's connected. I was also just curious as to if you found any patterns between the interviews or similarities oh, between yeah. some of the folks you interviewed. Yeah, people come from all different backgrounds, and uh, but they talk about a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like, we had two different authors, v- uh, Venus Kiyadija, Selenite. Uh, I wasn't sure how to pronounce selenite. So, right. Okay. And Kai Cheng Tom. They come from different backgrounds. Like Kai Cheng used to work as a like therapist or something. I'm not sure what Venus did. Uh, in the She's book, Venus talks about that. yeah. Uh, so Venus has worked service industry jobs in the past, and currently, I think her zero income is split between sex work and um, creative work. Or, I mean, oh, not that sex work isn't creative, but poetry and um, yeah. mm-hmm. video. Like, speaking. The video sounds. Um, Music. It's just yeah, all kinds what of stuff. Z said in the book, it sounds. Yeah, it sounds really um, positive and change making. Um, oh, it sounds very positive and change making. Uh, but yeah, both of these people come from different backgrounds. They were both talking about maladaptive daydreaming. And I thought that was super interesting, like, oh. to draw these ties from different people. Like, like Kai Chang Tom talks about growing up and just straight up she was like, I was a liar, right? Like Yeah, like a pathological <laughs> Yeah. Liar. Huh. And it's because like sometimes you gotta like lie to deal with your real life. Like yeah. and in her case she said that the li- uh the lies tell like truths in different ways. Like she mm-hmm. couldn't talk about the fact that maybe her family's abusive, but she can make up a boyfriend that she doesn't have and say her boyfriend is abusive mm. and that way she doesn't get CPS called on her. Mm. Um Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember how Venus talked about it. 
but it was really interesting. <laughs> I think Venus was talking about self-medicating with weed. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel like Venus talks about it in kind of a a vague way. I feel like I should keep talking so you can find the page in the book where Zenus is talking about Zenus. That's I, I combine their name and their pronoun into one word. Um, I wonder if it's part of what makes them such a good writer. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Um, speaking of themes, while well, Molly yeah. has trying to find that passage, um, there's definitely a lot of and especially because we've read these interviews over and over and over again, they seem, I think, to us very connected um, thematically. But I think for me, the biggest themes, like when I've been asked what this book is about, I feel like colorism and anti-blackness mm-hmm. are definitely present in more interviews or talked about in more interviews than they're not talked about in. Um, and not just by black artists, like interviewed Kamal Al-Soleili, who is a Yemeni-Canadian journalist who wrote a book called Brown. I'm going to get the subtitle wrong. It's like what being brown in today's world means for everyone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or something very close to that. Parentheses in it. It was a very good title. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he went to 10 different countries to talk to people about like, you know, what's it like being um, Filipina in Hong Kong? What's it like being Indian in Trinidad? What's mm. it like being North African in France? Um, and... Um, and anti-blackness and colorism. My, I think my favorite chapter in his book is actually the parts about colorism and how colorism is is essentially global. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like anti-blackness is sort of. Wait, let me make sure I say this right. <laughs> um, I feel like anti-blackness is at the root of colorism, right? Like the reason people think it's bad to be dark-skinned is because they don't want to be mistaken for black. Um, or because it's considered bad to be mistaken for black, um, even though not all black people are dark-skinned. I should have prepared what I was going to say before I opened my mouth. Yeah, but I really liked uh, my... I was really fascinated. He talks about what made him think that it. this is like, oh, there's a book here, there's something interesting here. Mm -hmm. And it was when he was in Hong Kong, Kong, and then, like, I guess Mm. on Sundays or something, like, all the domestic workers come out so the streets are just like flooded with people doing their own thing like but... having a party yeah oh, okay yeah, yeah like and... just a huge street party of all the domestic workers oh, wow. yeah, and the domestic workers um he reckoned that like they wanted to visibly differentiate them uh from like people from hong kong i guess mm-hmm. which is why they're filipino like darker skinned yeah this is a theme that comes up also in the chapter he wrote about qatar and um sri lankan workers in qatar this idea of sort of like importing a labor force that is visually distinctive so that they can be more easily monitored mm. Ooh. wow um and then you know Sounds like slavery in america right <laughs> yep um one of the artists in the book, Joe Matt Gill, who's an Afro-Cuban illustrator, also talks about anti-blackness in a Cuban-American context mm. and specifically about her relationship with her mom. Um, her mom identifies as mulatta. And I guess, I don't think I knew this before I talked to Joe, but in Cuba, mulattas are not considered black. It's considered like its own racial mm. category. And so, um, you know, she talks about her mom's sort of she talks about how she came to identify as Afro-Cuban and feeling 
you know, sort of questioning whether she had a right to claim her blackness because her mom denied her own blackness, but was clearly black, mm-hmm. um, or at least what would be considered black by American standards. So I guess that's another theme in the book is sort of like how understandings of race vary from place to place and country to country and yeah. how, you know, you could be considered, for example, white in Cuba, but I was going to say brown in the U.S. And I'm like, that needs a fact check. I'm not sure if that's actually sh- if that's actually true. I didn't know that there were white Latinos <laughs> before. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would say before writing this book, but Joe was the person that pointed it out to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm still learning a lot about race in Latin America. I still have a lot to learn for sure. Yeah. There is a lot. I mean, I feel like I'm constantly, I think, growing up in this country, there's so much to unlearn. Mm. Just, you know, no matter like where one is raised or who one is raised by between like the media and politics and history books and who writes the history books and what we're taught. There's so much to kind of, yeah, just either. Yeah. I guess either unlearn or search out the truth or other truths and of what actually is. Yeah. I definitely feel like growing up on the East coast and in a family that is black and white, like I came from, I developed a very black and white understanding of race from a young age and also a very U S centric understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so those are things that I'm constantly trying to unlearn, I guess. Um, I was going to say more about that, but now I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Yeah. Like, definitely the U.S. centric. I feel like it wasn't until I, I studied outside the the U.S. for for one year, and it was very much like, oh wow, it's not. I mean, it's just it's difficult to find the language for it. But just how everything here is just so like American. Traditional, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really unfortunate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, sorry, I remembered what I was going to say before. Hopefully I don't forget it again. Um, You're talking about U.S.-centric understandings of race and... Oh, wait, nope, sorry, I lost (laughs) (laughs) Talking about black and white. Oh, another big theme in the book. So um, Anthony J. Williams is going to be there at the launch party. Mm -hmm. They're one of the um, writers featured in the book, and I think they're mostly well-known on Twitter as at (gasps) Anthony's. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Also known uh, as Y'all Don't Read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Anthony's great. Yay. And one of the things that I learned, one of the things that Anthony said when I interviewed them was um, that POC means non black. And that was the first time I had heard that, was talking to Anthony. And I feel like it's something that I've heard now a lot more and that I understand the sentiment behind it a lot mm-hmm. more. But at the time, I was like, what are you talking about? And that's something we'll talk about at the launch party. But, um, right. I was talking about coming from the East coast, having a black and white context and then coming to the Bay and being Mm -hmm. in POC spaces where there were no black people Mm. or where everyone was light skinned. And that's something that me and Anthony talk about. And I think that's what Anthony was referring to when they say POC means not black. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, a space in the Bay that calls itself POC could have black people or it could not. POC doesn't necessarily tell you whether black people will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, coming from the East Coast, that was very strange because I feel like POC meant black. I don't know if we were even using POC when I left the East Are you from the East Coast? I lived in New York for a while, but I grew okay. up here and then I lived in New York and then I moved back. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of kind of bi-coastal. Little nice. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how, can I ask you a question? I'm sure. like so not used to being interviewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> um, 
yeah, coming from the East Coast, I feel like I didn't learn that I didn't learn anything about Asian American history, and I also mm. didn't learn that um, like a huge chunk of the U.S. used to be Mexico. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if like if that was a bigger part of your education growing up here. I mean, I so I was born here in the Bay Area, and then we moved to a suburb of Chicago for okay. about eight years. So then I had that Midwestern um, education in the '80s. And now I can, like, look at that as, like, oh, okay, here are some things that I was taught that were not necessarily true. And then we moved back. Um, so I was moved, we moved back here. So I was here for, like, middle school and high school. And I definitely felt a shift in terms of the the population that I was in school with and also what was taught. So, oh, to answer your question. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't remember. I mean... I feel like it wasn't until I read People's History of the U.S. that I really began to have an understanding of what the actual history of this country was. And I don't remember exactly what was taught when I was younger. I remember having a really, I really did not like social studies as a kid. Okay. And I don't know if it was because they were commenting on what was happening or I could tell that there was something that didn't quite feel right about it. But I do remember having, that was like my least favorite subject in class. I know that doesn't quite answer your question, but no, it's just... That's interesting um, to me, though, because I love social studies. Yeah. <laughs> but I also remember the way history was taught being like, uh, you know, there were Indians, and then the land was settled by white people, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the way history, it was just like war, followed by war, you know, yeah, yeah, French yeah. Indian War, yeah, War of 1812, stuff. Civil War, and because of the Civil War, we have to talk about slavery, but like... Yeah, nothing, nothing about indigenous history, mm-hmm. um, Asian American history, or um, like Latin American history, mm-hmm. really, until yeah. I was in college, I think. Yeah. I think it took me to, like, my AP classes in high school were actually, oh, my AP classes in high school were actually pretty good about that, and mm-hmm. they did teach us about, like, that kind of history, but it took all the way to, like, <laughs> yeah, till I was, like, in my late teens to be like, mm-hmm. oh. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I should have asked you, because you grew the up border, here. <laughs> the border really did cross them. I didn't understand what they meant by that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but to be fair, the reason I didn't learn it in New York was because they probably mm. didn't think it was appropriate for fifth graders. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. About earlier, I, I do think about Venus's uh, passage in the book... Um, yeah, I think you're right. It was subtext. <laughs> it wasn't outright, and I don't remember where I drew like the I connection it, anymore. I think I might have cut it. That's a possibility. It, yeah, it could. Yeah, a lot got cut from the book for space, mm. and some of that stuff was really good that I would have yeah. really loved to leave in, especially like Joe talking about sort of Afro-Cuban identity politics. Yeah, um, the stuff that nobody really like learns about. It's like here's mm-hmm. a bunch of information. <laughs> here's right. a primer, and also footnotes for where you can like read more about this. That's great. Um, but all of the, you know, people can listen to all of the full interviews and ones, I think Joe's and also Star's are two-part interviews. So they're like, have a lot of information. Um, those are all, the audio is available at cutiepocart.libsyn.com or on iTunes if people look for We Want the Airwaves. Mm-hmm. And then we also have transcripts, like these are very beautifully edited in the book. The mm-hmm. ones that are online are a lot rougher, um, but unedited transcripts of all the interviews at scribd.artactivistnia.scribd nope shoot sorry scribd.com slash artactivistnia so it's like scribed but Mm -hmm. without the e 
dot com slash art activist Nia. That's great. Yeah, it's bas- I shouldn't be saying this, but it's basically all the content in the book for free online. <laughs> but like less less edited, so mm-hmm. you should still buy the book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, you should buy the book because having it on your shelf will make you more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I'm looking forward to having the the third. It worked for me. Yeah. It worked for me. It's got to work for all of you. I mean, there's something so nice about like I much would rather read a book than read, you know, something a like, raw transcript on a screen, for instance. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I mean, this will be available as an ebook at some point, oh, but yeah, yeah. I I love I love print. Um, yeah old-fashioned in that way and if folks can't make it to the reading tomorrow and or if they're listening outside of the bay area where is a place that they can buy the book uh i have a big cartel it's artactivistnia.bigcartel.com mm-hmm. and that's that's gonna be the only place for right now i'll probably if there are copies left over um definitely leave some with east bay booksellers and mm-hmm. try and leave some probably with pegasus books yeah yeah um but this book so with past books they were printed through excuse me create space which is amazon self-publishing platform but mm-hmm. amazon is a terrible company yes they, have, they are <laughs> fuck you jeff bezos <laughs> fuck you amazon sorry That's right. they, they have been a terrible company just, oh. for a long time but when i found out yeah. that they were working with ice for yep. me that was the last straw so yep. these uh these are not printed through create space and they will also not be available on amazon mm-hmm. um so Do you want to talk about the publishers you found sure (laughs) i feel like you're leading me to try and say something um so my my hope for this book was to print it with this black owned press in baltimore that's actually run by ta-nehisi kosa's family his dad his um one of his sisters and one of his brothers called black classic press Mm -hmm. um it's sort of black classic press is like their press like the books they actually publish and distribute and then they also have um, a service called a good data print, which is uh, what we use where like, you don't have to be part of their, what am I trying to say? They print our books. Our books are not published through them. It's not like part of their mm-hmm. catalog or oh, whatever. Um, and so I'm working with two different printers. Parting with Amazon was fairly challenging because first they have distribution everywhere yeah yeah (laughs) and you know the fact that this won't be on amazon means it will be harder for people to get especially in like rural places Mm -hmm. um but you know you can order it directly from me which means i get to keep more of the profit and also i'll sign it for you and you'll Mm -hmm. know that you know i touched it with my hands (laughs) it's like not coming from some nameless faceless place where people are not being paid very well yeah um yeah, so I'm working with a combination of Black Classic Press and um, this company called 48 Hour Books. Okay. Um, yeah, Black Black Classic Press. Um, they're very sweet, and I'm excited to work with them. 48. We 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 really like didn't. This book wasn't finished until like <laughs> now. <laughs> like right before the book launch and so this batch of books is from 40 hour print because they can print books in 40 hours nice (laughs) but um the the first book um will also be available for sale at the book launch and those are printed by black classic press and i think future iterations of this book will be as well oh great excellent so we do have like excited when you told me about them (laughs) 
Yeah, there was a really great feature on um, on them in, I want to say, Baltimore Magazine, or it was some Baltimore-based magazine. They did like a pretty thorough interview with Paul Coates, who, is, who runs the press, mm-hmm. and um, talked about his history as a Black Panther and, you know, why he wanted to start a press, why he publishes Black books, um, you know, why that matters. Um, yeah, having worked in a print shop for a long time, like, very excited to be working with a family-owned black business yeah definitely um yeah i don't i'm not sure if they're union but you would hope that since they're related they would treat each other okay yeah yeah um going back to the book launch so we've talked a little bit about luna and a little bit about anthony do you want to talk a little bit about our third artist who's coming oh paradise um yeah paradise khan malik is an iranian american um visual i mean she does like a lot of the artists in the book she's multi-talented and works in a lot of different art forms poetry illustration music i think she said in the book that she's like sewing getting excited about yeah sewing. Yeah. she just keeps expanding <laughs> yeah um when i interviewed so i inter- i met her at la zine fest in 2017 which is a year that she did the post art for them and i really loved the post art so i went over to her table and talked to her and then invited her to be on the podcast. And um, she's one of the few visual artists in the book. Um, in the book, we talk about this series of illustrations she does called Pantheon, where she draws um, fat, hairy brown girls as goddesses and talks about, you know, sort of the importance of like these types of women being able to see themselves as beautiful. Um, and I'm curious to. She told me that since then, she, her work has become a lot less figurative and a lot more metaphysical. So that's something that we'll be talking about at the book launch as well. Her reasons behind that shift. I'm pretty curious what she means by metaphysical art. She's, I really love... Her, her interview has one of my favorite quotes in it, which I'm not going to dig around for right now. But it's something like, I just want to make lots of art and live my life. It sounds so simple on its surface, but it's like, it's in my opinion, it's the live my life part that's really hard. You yes, know, it's yes. like finding a living wage job mm-hmm. and a low enough rent that will allow you to like have your bases covered and have enough time and energy to make art after you're, you know, done doing whatever you have to do to make rent. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nine hour days. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paradise is also really frank, which is one of the things I love about her interview about how like a lot of what you encounter in the art world is just bullshit. <laughs> oh my goodness. She's very cynical about capitalism, which, mm. you know, I relate to and I just really appreciate how like honest she is about the fact that she knows she's playing a game mm-hmm. and that she's, you know, kind of salty about having to, but yeah. understands that this is these are the options. Yeah at the moment i mean hopefully we all want to create the world that we deserve to live in yeah for sure <sighs> so we've got about 10 minutes left um is there anything else that you wanted to speak about that we haven't addressed yet um <laughs> I'm, I'm really this is so i got displaced earlier this year and this is my first time back to the bay in six mm. months 
Um, and I'm just so excited to be back. Yeah, I really hope. Back. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to launch the book. I'm really excited to like see all the people I miss. And also, the event is going to be catered by my favorite pupusa truck. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which is like pupusas are one of the things I miss most about Oakland, mm-hmm. besides the people and the weather. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm really excited about that. It's uh, The truck is called Pupuseria Rosita. Mm-hmm. They're usually parked at east 17th and 14th ave in east oakland and their fried plantains are to die for oh yeah i'm I'm looking forward to trying this yeah so come through for free amazing salvadorian food (laughs) yeah and speaking of pupusas there's some really good ones across the street if you find yourselves hungry donut terrace free plug corner of 21st in florida (laughs) friendly folks great food (laughs) yeah Ah, cool. Okay. So, let's see. Other, like, favorite parts of the book or favorite stories? Oh, I had so many. This book is, like, just filled with very relatable... Like, we made this joke that, like, the process of editing is just, like like gaining massive crushes on everybody you're mm-hmm. <laughs> you're editing because you're, you're just like in their head you're like wow <laughs> because you want to stay true to their voice and right. that, that can be kind of hard when you're like uh cleaning it up for fillers and you're like wait what's fillers and sure. what's what's a grammar error what's a thing they meant to say yes um yeah oh yeah like there's one part where venus says until i decease it is like which is beautiful first of all great phrasing <laughs> yeah it's like we all i don't know whatever technically it's not like it's unusual phrasing but you know exactly what she means it's yes. not unclear and yes. it's like it adds a certain emphasis it's like wow <laughs> i really like the way these artists talk mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah or the, <laughs> there's one part where uh gabby rivera who's the author of juliet takes a breath which is a really amazing book and gabby actually lives in oakland mm-hmm. and um also the author of america which was like a marvel comic yeah oh wow <laughs> so yeah she's the yeah she writes for america chavez who is this um well like officially she's an alien from outer space but like she's coded <laughs> latina and she has like two, two moms, moms and can she's, punch holes through time and space she's incredible <laughs> um there's this part where gabby is talking about her parents her parents supporting her after she lost her job and she said like i'm so grateful my parents were like we fuck with our kid yeah yeah and i remember being like should this be fucks with <laughs> <laughs> these are the kind of editing questions mm-hmm. that we have very serious very and serious I'm, business in our group chats <laughs> yeah i mean i think editing is intensely political and so some of our i don't want to say arguments but like debates or discussions over how to edit things were it's like again always wanting to preserve the voice also Mm -hmm. wanting to make sure that the message is clear um i'm trying to think of examples the one that really sticks out to me is that like i could not decide whether the g and god should be capitalized in Mm. this book i went back and forth about it so many times a few a few times yeah but yeah i mean ultimately we wanted it like um i talked to irene about this recently irene uh magnolia black she was in the The first book the first book Mm -hmm. yes as well as the podcast um and she was talking about a different interview she did with somebody else and they were like taking notes uh like they didn't record it oh okay (laughs) yeah and for like a research project or something well 
I don't know. I don't remember the specific okay. context. We'll just assume she, it's not for a podcast. A long story short, she said that, like, she read the transcript and she was like, oh, that's not my voice. And, like, we want these artists to read their transcripts and be like, oh, hey, that yeah, that sounds like something I would have said. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's an area where Maliha, like, really kicked ass. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, preserving preserving voice is important to me also, but I feel like you really did a lot of the labor in terms of preserving the artist's voices. Yeah, it's hard to use my linguistics degree for it, but I did my best. <laughs> that that was a question I wanted to ask you. I don't know how we're doing on time. I like five minutes left. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, how do you feel like, do you feel like having a linguistics degree or linguistic background, like, impacts your editing ability or skill like helps you in mm. any way or because i feel like one of the reasons i want to hire you is because i knew you were a linguist but i didn't actually know anything about linguistics it would be actually helpful to the project <laughs> yeah i was like well, that sounds fitting uh, i mean i went into linguistics because i like like oh i went into linguistics because i like working with languages so i mean ultimately you made the right decision either way um hire me but- <laughs> <laughs> hashtag hire me <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, I feel like um, my linguistics degree really helped me when I was editing Luna's book, Heal Your Love, um, like, to look for patterns. In this case, everybody has, like, everybody has an idiot, like, that's their own special dialect they speak, right? It's different from even your own sister, right? Um, Like, who you grew up with. Uh, Every artist had their own exciting idiot, and, like, yeah, so, like, the question of, like, like, we fuck with our kid, um, and trying to figure out if it's fucks with it. <laughs> um, like, you look through the book, or you listen to other stuff she says, like, mm-hmm. like what is her idiolect? Is it fucks, or is it fuck? <laughs> and sometimes it was just a matter of checking the audio. But there were mm-hmm. other times where I feel like the audio was not mm-hmm. as clear. Like, the interview I did with May Rude, who was the first trans editor at Autostraddle, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. recently got hired by Out Magazine, oh, which wow, I'm great. so excited for her. Um, she, her interview was done via Skype. And so there are some Mm -hmm. parts where the audio kind of cut out. And there was one part where she was talking about Trump voters. I think this part actually got cut from the book entirely. Yeah. But, um, there, she was talking about, we couldn't figure out if she was, if she said middle class or working class, I think. Like we just heard class and the word before that was, um, was inaudible. Yeah. We're like, that's kind of a really important <laughs> distinction. Yeah. Like, I remember making a dumb joke about Middle Western class. Yes. Because but, she's from the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Pocatello, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, Which she talks extensively about yeah, um, yeah. being trans in a small town. But yeah, ultimately, anything. Uh, my approach to editing is like, if you can't prove it, if it's not fact checkable mm-hmm. or you can't. Um, just check the audio and get an answer that way, then we cut it so mm. that we can make sure there's nothing that's not true mm. in the book, even if it means sometimes we have to cut things that, like, are useful or are nice. But, yeah, if they don't stand up to a fact check, then they don't go in the book. There's another example like that. I think Kai Cheng was quoting, I think it was Audre Lord talking about poetry as a poor woman's medium. Mm. And I, we, like, couldn't find we couldn't find that quote i couldn't find the quote online being attributed to lord yeah anywhere and yeah and kai chang also wasn't sure if it was lord that said it or someone else so it's like it's a great sentiment and i would have loved to leave it in the book but if we can't prove that that person actually said it yeah yeah or find the new name for who said it Mm -hmm. yeah 
yeah there was there was some like sort of fun parts of fact checking this book i feel like fact checking is another area where maliha really kicked ass like (laughs) you fact check things that i did not expect you to um or want you to even but you're super thorough and i appreciate that um oh what was the example i was just thinking of oh uh gabby rivera talking about bernie mac <laughs> I found the video. Yeah, yeah, Malia sent me a link to the video. And I had to change the quote so that it matched what he actually said. But it was about mm-hmm. how you know you're someone when white folks come to see you. <laughs> Um, and she talks about i feel like that's kind of another theme i don't want to make it sound like a huge theme but like the need or desire for white validation Mm. is something that comes up in gabby's interview Mm -hmm. and also in ariel twist who is an indigenous trans woman based in halifax nova scotia whose first book came out this year it's called dissociate disintegrate or disintegrate dissociate i think um her first book of poetry and uh people should check that out too yeah Thanks. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Ariel's got very nice poetry. I also recommend it. Um, yeah, you find her on Twitter at Ariel Twist. She's really funny. Yeah, you should follow all these artists yeah. after you buy our book and find their contact information. In yeah, the back. <laughs> yeah, and you can also follow me on Twitter at We Want the Pod if you would like. Yeah, I actually haven't been following you. I'll have to change. That. <laughs> It's okay. It's all stuff you already know, I think. It's like, come to the book launch. Uh, So again, the book launch is tomorrow, October 19th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at East Bay Booksellers at 5433 College Ave in Oakland. And uh, It's from 7 to 9 p.m. There's ASL interpretation, and there's uh, free food, and there's three wonderful artists from the books. And there's also Mia King, <laughs> who is willing to sign your books. We, yeah, we, I will sign and your we books. We will all sign your books, to be fair. Oh. But Mia King will sign your books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is probably the only place where you can get so many of the artists in the book to sign your book at once. So nice. don't miss it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having you. us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. So we'll take a bit of a music break and be back in a bit. Stay tuned. Too loud. How we like to watch you. 
shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. Give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be.
weekly review again big thank you to nia and malia for coming in and sharing information about the new book queer and trans artists of color volume three and again the book launch is happening tomorrow in oakland so please do check that out and order a book if you're unable to make it uh the internet's currently down at the station so as far as going through the news i'll be reading off my phone therefore it'll be a little bit slower than usual did want to get to a few action items that folks can take and the first comes from twitter and you can follow me on twitter at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r i mostly retweet and share stories and i do like being able to have action items that folks can take and ways people can reach out to people and one is 
through contacting folks who are incarcerated. And this ha this has been shared by um, at Survive Punish, and it's hashtag Survived and Punished. Blue Sky is a Native American trans man who's been incarcerated for nearly 40 years and denied parole for nearly 20 for a crime he didn't commit. Racism and transphobia put him in prison, put him in prison walls and keeps him there. In honor of his 74th birthday, help hashtag free blue sky. And if you go to bit.ly forward slash commute blue sky, you can find the information and you can send birthday cards, which I believe is this week to blue sky. And that's at Ricky blue dash sky W two zero nine three seven. And that's Ricky is R I C K I E. And CCWF 516-13-4L, P.O. Box 1508, Chowchilla, California, 93610. Another way to get in contact with folks who are incarcerated is to go to blackandpink.org and or flying over walls and those are ways that you can reach out especially with queer and trans folks who are incarcerated send them birthday cards send them books and find ways to have pen pals <sighs> i am going through the stories lists here and there's also i don't know if i mentioned it last week uh, there have been attacks on kurdish folks um by the Turkish militia, and here, or not Turkish militia, Ugh. Um, military happening overseas, and wanted to comment on that, acknowledge that it's happening, and 45 has said that the U.S. should withdraw troops, and so there's even more violence happening now over there. Um... It's difficult to acknowledge that and uh, uh, have to just have a moment of silence right now for, for what's happening. And there have been protests that have been happening in solidarity with Rojava all over the country here in the US as well as abroad. So wanting to recognize that, that folks are, have been showing up in various ways at SFO this week. Folks shut down Turkish airlines for a little bit. And again, uh, if you follow, follow me on Twitter, I tend to retweet and share a lot of these stories as well. So there are folks who are taking action and wanted to call that out by name and to commend folks who are speaking up and showing up in various ways. Next up, on November 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific time, drivers will protest outside Bill Gurley's house, and that's G-U-R-L-E-Y's house in Atherton, Google Ventures' office on the Embarcadero in San Francisco, and Garrett Camp's $71 million mansion in Los Angeles. It's time to deactivate the Uber billionaires. So this is an event that's uh, sponsored or put on by Gig Workers Rise. You can follow them at Gig Workers Rise on Twitter. So again, that's happening on November 6th in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. <sighs> Sigh. 
let's see what other news stories that we have. There's a lot, and of course, can only get to what we have time for, what I found out about. It's uh, at the drop in the bucket, and perhaps it's some, at least, acknowledgement of what is happening. Uh, there's an article on Boing Boing about how half of Americans are now in the police database. If you go to Boing Boing, I believe it's dot, dot org, dot com, you can find more information there. They have news stories as well. There are also protests happening in Haiti. There's protests happening around the world in Ecuador as well, uh, Colombia, uh, all around, all around the world. PG&E, I don't know. It, it's, I feel like time now, the, there's so much that's happening and also we have so much access to information that it can feel overwhelming and I forget what I have gotten to in the last week or not. PG&E decided to cut power. People have already died. And instead of PG&E taking responsibility for their actions or giving the, the people at the top bonuses, uh, at using that those funds to maybe fix the infrastructure, they have cut power to prevent forest fires and all that nonsense. And there's a person who died 12 minutes after having his power turned off because he he's uh, had medical issues and needed to have electricity for his medical support. And there also are folks who, for instance, have diabetes and they need their Lancet. And I'm running out of steam here. So it's just, it's negatively affected a lot of folks. And also there are maps that were shown as to the communities that were without power. And of course the, some of the neighborhoods that are around the rich tech companies, they have their power and, other communities were without power. So I wanted to comment on that as well. That happened this past week. I think folks went maybe two days without electricity. Uh, the Coalition on Homelessness, it's a great organization to support. You can follow them on Twitter at The Coalition SF. And they also are the folks who publish Street Sheet, which I recommend that folks pick up. Um, have tweeted, Dear housed people, we don't need protection from homeless people. They need protection from us. And there's an op-ed that's in the LA Times about that as well. And there have been numerous attacks on folks who are unhoused. And it's just ridiculous that these are the same folks who people call the cops on, the people who have the least amount of safety. So I wanted to share those stories. <sighs> I believe... Those are the stories we uh, I had already set up to to share. And again, since I'm not online per se, it's a little bit tricky to get to everything and have as many stories up and running as I would like to get to. And here's something else, another way for folks to take action. And uh, this is from... AFSCME Local 3299. I found them on Twitter. Take action. Call UC President Napolitano at 510-987-9074 and UCLA CEO Spiso at 310-267-9315 and say UCLA police arrested Teresa Avendano for doing her job representing workers and we demand all charges against her are dropped. We will not tolerate intimidation or union busting. I will retweet this right now. Again, you can follow me at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R on Twitter. Please donate to the radio station. That's another thing we can do. 
go to mutinyradio.fm. We, the dues and space rentals keep this place open. So if you'd like to continue to support Free Speech Radio, please do donate to the station. Also, we have a Patreon set up for this particular show. It would mean a lot to me if you're able to donate. Many folks do. Could use a little more help if folks are able to, to help with dues uh, and compensation for the time. So please go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. It'd be a big help. Thank you so much. And going through the list here of other things that we can share. I know there's a lot of events coming up and unfortunately, I mean, New York City, they did vote to close Rikers, which is good. However, they are going to replace it with uh, four new jails, which is not good. So that's, again, not good. There are folks who are for the, if you want to type in uh, No New Jails Coalition, I believe also in San Francisco, looking to close 850 Bryant Wanting to share that as well. Also, there's the CTU strike, CTU, SEIU strike day two. Teachers in Chicago are on strike. And uh, teachers, education workers, and supporters are currently rallying at Daily Plaza. And this was shared by Elizabeth King. You can follow Elizabeth at E-L-I-Z-A-B-C-K-I-N-G. You can follow more info there. Wow. We've been playing music by Star Amarasu, and we heard music from the major soundtrack, as well as Eclipsing, the EP. And also coming up in a couple weeks, we'll be speaking with uh, Stormy Gal Flores, who uh, did some of the music uh, with Star for the major documentary. And Storm has a Storm Miguel has a new film coming out called The Whistle that will be premiering at the Trans Film Festival here in San Francisco. And it'll be playing on November 8th at the Roxy Theater. So please do come through for that. We also will be speaking with Lenora Lee on next whoops, next week's show as well. So I always appreciate having folks here to speak with and promote their work and a lot of good folks out there doing great things. Huh. I'd like to share some more info, if I may. And unfortunately, due to the internet, uh, it's a little bit uh, tricky here, but I do want to share some more ways to, that folks can show up. Because I feel like, and I try to say it on the show every week, that there are so many different ways that people can show up. And I want to offer different opportunities and information. And I feel like a lot of folks recognize that a lot of things that are happening in the world feel backwards or wrong. And I do think that a lot of people want to help if they know how and or had the energy and could find something that fits. And by sharing opportunities for people, hopefully there are some folks who might be thinking, oh, wow, this sounds cool. And also I know I can only speak from my own experience that sometimes it's difficult to take action. And if someone else has organized something, it's easier for me to show up. So this is something else that came through from the 
Occupy Oakland group. For those seeking a way to learn to do outreach to and directly assist the unhoused and curbside communities and also feed people, there's an opportunity in Oakland this Sunday from 1 p.m. at Oakland Soul, and that's S-O-L. And there, uh, let's see, please read up and RSVP at the Eventbrite link below, Feed the Hood Family Festival. Uh, join us at Feed the Hood Family Festival for a community celebration and learn how to get involved in homeless services and solutions. It's free, fun, music, games, family, community resources. It's uh, eventbrite.com forward slash E forward slash feed dash the dash hood dash family dash festival dash tickets dash. Oh, it's a number. seven three nine nine six nine nine eight zero one three. Hopefully there'll be another way that's easier to for me to share through speaking. However, I'm sure if you type in Feed the Hood Family Festival, you'll get more information there as well. Reminder, in Oakland this Sunday, 1 p.m. at Oakland Soul, and that's S-O-L. Great. Okay. And I'll share some more news from Ben the Ark, Jewish Action. Ugh. So next week, uh, Ben the Ark leaders in Pittsburgh are taking action, will be taking action to confront 45, who's going to be visiting Pittsburgh to mark the anniversary of the shooting in the synagogue. And Ben the Ark is asking Jews and allies across the country to be ready to take action with us. We'll have ritual you can do in your local community, as well as uh, bolder action calling on the president fucker and members of congress to build a country where all of us experience freedom fairness and belonging we must remove from power those who spread anti-semitism xenophobia islamophobia and racism we get there not alone but in deep partnership with each other in the jewish community and in solidarity with all other groups under attack and so you can follow ben the ark and sign up to their mailing list and I'll read a little bit more from their email. Last year, our Pittsburgh leaders turned away Trump when they filled the streets alongside local allies, including the Muslim community. It will take all of us rising up again to send a clear message to our politicians on this one-year anniversary that if you're not here for all of us, you're here for none of us. And this was signed, the Bend the Ark team. <sighs> okay. How about, it's one let's maybe hear some more music from Star Amorasu, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show. And going to see, play a little bit more music.
And welcome back to the weekly review. We are going to be rounding out the show. Got to a lot of news today. Quick plug of some upcoming events. Uh, we protests against the Trump-Pence regime. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're in New York, Saturday, October 19th at Union Square, 5 p.m. And in Los Angeles at Santa Monica Beach. And then here in San Francisco on October 26th, Saturday, San Francisco, 1 p.m. at Mission and 24th Street. And for more information, email norcal at refusefascism.org. we got some flyers here at the station as well. There's also a lot of shows here at the station every day of the week. Please do come by, check things out, and or listen in. If you'd like a show here of your own, that's totally possible. Please email Pam. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, find that information there, find some slots that are available, and have a show here of your own. Also, I wanted to comment on earlier, I was mentioning there was a story about police having half of Americans' faces on their databases, and you can find that at boingboing.net. Also, uh, I don't want to end on a bad note, but I guess I can't help it. Uh, there's a story, uh, Sally May... Uh, flies more than 100 employees to Hawaii to celebrate $5 billion in sales while student debt crisis tops $1.6 trillion. And that's from like super mainstream NBC News of all places. So they're evil and that's pretty messed up. So, <coughs> excuse me, here to some guillotines and here's to some redistribution of wealth. And uh, hopefully... We will see that in our lifetime, or at least the next generation will. Uh, there was a uh, waitress who was fired after, for refusing to serve a couple that insulted tran a transgender customer. So sending lots of love out there to that waitress. And that's what, that's what allies look like. And... Again, protests happening in Haiti. And I think that's going to be it for this show today. Cool. Okay. Again, please do check out the book launch happening tomorrow in Oakland. And yeah, I guess I'm uh, whew, running low on energy. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. And here, we'll hear some more from Star Amorasu. I'm currently playing from songs from the Rebecca EP. And, uh, yeah, once we get this machine to work, there we go. And we'll be back uh, next week. Have a great week, everybody. Like a bird, thinking, touch me. 
accident will help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers is California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834.
or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Mutinyradio.fm. Why not make a donation? Mutinyradio.fm. Streaming live the station. Mutinyradio.fm. District of the Mission. Mutinyradio.fm. Mutinyradio.fm. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to mutinyradio.fm, hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? 
Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead passengers? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs, and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com and 